That's my mom. <laughs> Just in case you didn't know. Well, church, uh, you know, I'm going to give you some encouragement. Read the Word of God, right, as much as you can, whenever you can, wherever you can, to whoever you can, right, if they'll let you. Um, read Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16. Let me give you that encouragement. Read Romans 8, chapter 14, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 8, verses 14 through 16, especially in the light of today's message, and just see how God speaks with you. I encourage you. I, I Encourage you to keep praying, pray with someone, pray by yourself, pray as much as you can. And here's something to pray for, that God will let you share the gospel with someone in whatever context, however it comes about. Right? Not, you don't have to be a great theologian, you don't have to have all the answers, just, just share the love of Jesus with someone. God will place it on your heart, he'll give you the right words to say, he'll give you the right person to speak to. Just be open to it and see how God takes you and leads you. So... Let us go now to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for uh, allowing us to come together, allowing for this time of singing and, and, and reading of your word, Lord, because that, that's, that's why we come. We come to hear your word and to encourage one another in your word. And we do that through our singing and, and through our gathering and just through just, just saying hi to each other to say Jesus is better. God, I pray that, that, our, that our minds can be encouraged and, and, because, Lord, there's so much going on in our world right now. There's so much to worry about, so much to be concerned about, a lot to be angry about. But, God, help us to not fall into those traps, but to be people of joy and of peace and of hope, to say Jesus is going to take care of it all and he is the answer. Lord, I pray that, that that's what comes about us. God, be with all the missionaries and, 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 and churches that are meeting in whatever capacity that they are, Lord, whether in, in houses or in, in, on top of the, uh, mountains or underground. God, there's, there's so many areas that your word is going out that we don't even fathom. But you're out there. You're, you're involved. The gates of hell won't stop the gospel. And you're using people left and right, broken sinners to spread your word. And God, we know that you'll use us too. And that gives us hope. So, Lord, I pray right now that if there's any sin in our life, that you expose it. Show it us, Lord, that, that we're so good, we're good lawyers of justifying our sins. But, God, we're horrible, horrible judges of others. God, I pray that we could be judges of ourselves and realize that we are sinners in need of your grace. And, and, and you expose our sins, things that we think are common or natural or just the way of life. Lord, bring it to our eyes so we can trust in you. And lay it all down at the foot of the cross. Lord, if there's people that are struggling now, that are having a hard time in life, Lord, help them to find their strength in, new, in you and stop trying to find strength in anything else. God, we just pray that we're able just to consistently live out the faith before you. So you can fill us with love, hope, and peace, Lord, as we do such things. And remind us that we are saved by your grace alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we, we have now come to a, uh, a major turning point in the book of Ephesians. Beginning in chapter 4, this is, this is where Paul starts to reveal to us what are the consequences of the gospel of God's grace in our life, in which we now believe, in which the Ephesians believed. And, and the word consequences is a word that I can't stress enough as we go through the rest of this book. Because if we forget it... We will easily fall into a legalistic state of mind. 
thinking that, well, you know, Paul is moving on now from the gospel to more practical matters in our life. This is, this is where it becomes all upon you. God has brought you to the door. He's even opened the door, but he will only take you so far and the rest is on you. This gospel message will, will only do so much for you by faith in Christ. And from this point on, you've got to muster up the strength, muster up the willpower and the discipline and the heart to do what he says next in this text. You know, like when, when, uh, when God brought, brought out and rescued the, the Hebrew slaves from Egypt, uh, you know, back in the Old Testament, he brought them thus far and then he gave them the law and said, if you don't keep it, you'll be cursed. And we all know how well that turned out. Spoil alert, it didn't work out so well. It was a burden that they could not carry. The law only exposed their sins. It only exposed their need of a Savior. There was no power to keep it in and of themselves. So that is not what Paul is doing here in this book. That's not what Jesus did in his new covenant in which we're under. So at, at this Paul is not doing that here at this turning point of, of chapter 4 of Ephesians. What you have here is Paul is helping us all, all the more to trust in the gospel by faith in Christ. He is, he is trying to take us deeper into the gospel by showing the consequences of it in our life. As we increase in our relationship with Christ by faith in him, as we come to know the amazing truths and promises that are revealed by his gospel, as we come to see truly how free we are in this world, it will naturally, consequently, uh, I said that wrong, but consequentially, you know what I mean. <laughs> it will impact the way we live. Not perfectly, but it will impact us. Christians don't live perfectly, but we do live differently. Christianity is not this, this formula or a checkoff list, but it's an ever-growing trust in our Creator through faith in Christ. And as this faith expands, or more specifically, as we by faith get more and more dependent upon Jesus, seeing how weak we are and how insufficient we are without Him, this will by default produce in you different characteristics that were not there before, different values that you didn't have at one time, new, uh, new perspectives on things that you did not see before or, or things you haven't thought about, different mindsets that just did not exist or at one time you thought were useless, but now uh, it's seen as beneficial. And as this growth process uh, uh, happens to us by faith in Christ within us, just to make sure that we don't fall into a into legalism or some Pharisee law mindset, who, by the way, the Pharisees, they kept the laws of God pretty good, better than most. But sadly, their hearts were just completely far off from God. They had no faith in God. They had faith in themselves, but not in God. So to keep us from becoming self-sufficient and, and judgmental of each other and thinking of what a good person I am compared to that guy. This statement that I made that Christians don't live perfectly, but we do live differently. The differently means that we are not all on the same level of deepness in faith in Christ or maturity 
It means that though we all may be on the same path by faith in Christ, it does not mean that we're all running at the same pace or same stamina in all things. I mean, there, there is a lot of huffing and puffing going on. And if you think you're not huffing and puffing, trust me, you're just lying to yourself. There are many areas of your life where you are huffing and puffing, but you just don't want to admit it. But if you take the time, which we will as we go through God's word in Ephesians, he will show you, God will show you where you are huffing and puffing and, and struggling. But anyway, we are, we are different from the world because our path is different now. We have faith in Christ. Yet we're not all on the same level as having faith in Christ. And what I mean is that there are some areas where we have more faith in Christ than others. And there are some areas where we have a lot less faith in Christ than others. So we're always huffing and puffing somewhere in our life. And I know some of you are like, John, I've been huffing and puffing this whole time. I'm like about to pass out. My friend, that's okay because you're in good company. I am of the same. I huff and puff in this path of glory all the time. Praise God that we're saved by grace and not of works because we'd be doomed. I'm tripping all over the place. But anyways, back to the point. So how God deals with us is different in his timing as, as how far he goes or as fast as he changes us. For some, it's monumental changes in our life. You know, you hear those stories. And for others, it's small changes that we don't necessarily see right away, like, like a working in our heart or, or little things on the outside that may be, as someone who has been going to church for a while their whole life, they may be quick to look over or think, look, well, that's just normal. But it may be monumental to the very person who's doing it for the very first time. What he changes about us is all dependent upon him. It's his timing, his grace. And again, Christians don't live perfectly, but we do live differently. And here's the thing, is that what Paul is going to say here and reveal as we start looking over the rest of the book, specifically starting in chapter 4, is that the truth or the gospel of God's grace and what he has done and is doing is, is the same for all of us now by faith in Christ alone. So the truth that Paul reveals is the same for all of us and through it, through seeing it and hearing it and speaking on it and dwelling on it all by faith in Christ, knowing what he has done and is doing for us, this is what changes us. This is what brings about repentance in us. God, through his gospel truth, changes our hearts, changes our minds and our wills, and he empowers us. God alone is the one who molds you by his word, his truth, his gospel, and his grace. And this is what brings about the power and the strength and the wisdom to live differently in this world. Or as Paul so perfectly stated earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And Paul begins now to reveal what some of these good works are that God has prepared for us to walk in, that we should be walking in. So today's text that we're going to look at is just chapter 4, verse 1, and our title is The Divine Calling. 
Now, it's important to remember that the, one of the main reasons why he's writing this book in the first place is to have unity in the churches of both Jew and Gentile by faith in Christ. He is wanting them to see now that they are one people in the Lord despite their differences, for Christ has done everything to bring them together. So to affect them corporately, he speaks to them individually, which will affect them as they gather in the name of Jesus. So Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. And this brings us to our first point. The divine calling, right? Take it seriously. Paul says, in light of all that I have written up to this point, in light of all that God has done for you through Jesus Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection on your behalf, in light of all the wonderful truths that are revealed in the gospel, that he is your identity, he is your security, he is your hope, he is your joy, he is your peace. In, all, in light of all of that, I want you to realize that what I'm saying to you next is in truth of the gospel, and it's not a matter of my own opinion. Hence he says, hence why he says, a prisoner for the Lord. What Paul writes next to these, to these this Ephesian church, the Ephesian churches, it's not from some high up prestigious place speaking down to them from the comfort of his own home. No, what he says is, is it comes from a prison cell. So what he writes is coming from one who is suffering for the Lord, suffering for the truth of the gospel in which he and they believe in. So think of it this way. He's not writing to them to control them so he can have worldly gain from them. He's not writing to them to make himself as a great leader in the Christian church. In fact, he's writing to them and what he is writing to them would most likely keep him in the very prison that he's at. For the more he speaks of the truth to them, or really anyone, it costs him in this world. But it's worth it, for it is the truth of God's grace, and grace has gripped his heart, so it must be spoken of and revealed to all. And what makes this so fascinating is that here you have Paul suffering in prison for the gospel of God's grace. And rather than get all high and mighty and pious and bitter about what they are doing and having this attitude of, why aren't you being faithful like me and suffering like me? If I can do it, so can you. And judging them and belittling them for their problems amongst each other and how they're acting towards each other and having this look of disgust, like, what's wrong with you people? Rather, he approaches them in the exact opposite because his heart's gripped by grace. Paul comes to them not as a dictator, not as a bashing authority. Paul comes to them with a very friendly, exhorting manner or a posture of saying, I urge you. So Paul, rather than commanding them to do what, he's, what next, he's, he urges them. He, he, he says, you should. In the Greek here, the word urge means to approach someone with a deeply comforting encouragement. Not a beat down, not a tear down, which he could possibly do. I mean, look at where he's at. He's in prison for one of the main things they're having a hard time with. 
keeping a unity of both Jew and Gentiles as one church. I mean, that's, that's, what it, that's why he's in the pr- prison. Because the Jews are saying, no, these Gentiles can't be with us. And these people are arguing over it. But that's not how he comes to them. He comes to them, not as, he comes to them as a friend, not as a controlling tyrant. They're not they're his pet project. Now, why does he start like this? Why, why the comforting encouragement rather than the authoritarian command of their change? Why not just demand it? Well, you're just looking back of what everything that he's just spoken of from chapter 1 through chapter 3 up to this point. He knows who's in control of their life. It's not him. But God, through their faith in Jesus Christ, he knows that God will convict them of their wrongs. He knows God is the one who will point out their sins where they're not trusting in him. He knows that God, he knows, that God knows them better than, than, than he does. And that for any real change to happen to them and amongst them, it all comes down to, from God changing them by the gospel message of grace, not him. That is why he begins here with this open hand of friendship because he knows for a fact that God, by his grace, through their faith in Jesus Christ, is making a difference in them. And Paul just wants them to realize it more and more every day, which is why he says to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And this brings us to our second and last point. The divine calling, it engulfs your whole life. So let's just, let's just take this apart real quick so we can see what he's getting at here because what's stated here is really impactful, or at least it should be. To walk, Paul is not talking about getting your steps in for the day. It would be nice, but that's not not. No, he's speaking of your whole life, your whole lifestyle. Your manner of life should be worthy or be conformed to the calling in the Lord that you have now. Think of it this way. Now that you believe in the gospel message, there is not one part of your life that the gospel is not over. When Christ purchased you by his blood, Christ gave up his life to buy your whole life. All of your life belongs to him now through faith in him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20 says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Christ did not come to forgive, restore, and adopt people in slices. He did not go to the cross to purchase only parts of you or parts of your life. No, he went to the cross to bring all of you wholly and fully into his family for eternity by faith in him. That means he also bought the very dark places in your life the very dark things about you, the parts you don't want to talk about or, have, or maybe are having a hard time right now with. All of it is now his. So Paul is saying that all of your life then should be properly fitting or equal to the divine call upon you. And that in itself, before we go any further, should make you pause for just a moment See, Paul doesn't need to command anything from you. He only needs to give you the truth. Because what he says here reveals something about all of us. 
We are all sinners in need of God's grace every day and every moment, every time you have breath come out of your lungs. For who can say my life is worthy of the call upon me? Who can stand and say I have obtained such a thing? No one. I mean, just for a moment, think just upon this past week. Can you honestly say that your life is worthy of God's call upon you? Can you say that your life has been just the past few days worthy of the divine call upon you? This calling is a full lifestyle, not part of it, not just the part where you pray before you eat, not just the part where you maybe read your Bible. No, this is all of it. It's a calling of whatever you are doing, from the most mundane things in life to the most complex things in your life. All of your relationships worthy of the divine calling. All of your hobbies worthy of the divine calling. All of your work habits, spending habits, eating habits, sleeping habits, exercising, driving, shopping, streaming, texting, sitting, watching the sunset. Whatever it is you do with all humility. (laughs) Whatever it is you do. All of it is supposed to be worthy of the calling that's upon you. Paul is being very upfront and and blunt about it. He's not hiding anything here. Now you might think, well, (laughs) John, well, what what is the calling then that I've been called to? Because now you're trying to put things together. Okay, what is the calling? What have they been called to? And my friend, what is so interesting is that the very thing that they have been called to and the thing that we have been called to is the one thing we fail at every day. But because we fail at it every day, passages like this promote us to do more of it every day. I know that sounds a bit perplexing, but it's not. So what is it? What what have we been called to? What is our calling? Well, from all that Paul has written up to this point, all through chapter 1 through chapter 3, our calling is by grace through faith to trust in Christ with all that we are. All of our life is to reflect us trusting in Him alone in all things. But guess what? The reason we fall into sin and are disobedient is because we do not trust him with all that we are. We do not have enough faith in him. And this is why we fall into sin. We should trust him with everything and all that we are and all that we have. Our life should be worthy of the call. But it's not. So as sins get exposed from God's word, hence Like Paul says, you should live a life that fully trusts in Christ by faith alone in all things. Guess what? If you take it seriously, which he wants you to, it reveals and should have the consequences that we need to trust Christ more and more in all areas of our life. That's the consequence. 
Now remember, we are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus. Even if our faith is small and weak, for it's not the quantity or quality of our faith that saves us, but it's the object or person in which we have our faith in that saves us. That's Jesus. So Paul is just encouraging. Right? He says, shoot, I exhort. Right? He doesn't demand this. He encourages. I, he's, he's encouraging us and them to live by faith in Christ more and more every day in all things by looking to Christ more and more every day in all things. See, when you look to the gospel promises and what it gives, that Jesus is our everything, and Jesus gives us everything we need by faith alone, that he gave up his life for you lovingly, even though you are a sinner. So you can have all the spiritual blessings, like being adopted into his family as a child of God, have eternal life, raised with him and seated with him spiritually in the heavenlies to only experience God's favor and love upon you. The glorious truths like this that you have right now by faith alone in him, by faith alone in Jesus' performance on your behalf, and not in your performance, but that he freely gives you all of this, even though you fail every day, that should motivate you to want to live a life worthy of his calling. Because you don't have to earn it. You have it. It should create in you a passion in you to want to trust Jesus more in all things in life because you want to experience and see his hand at work in all things. It should motivate you to to have your heart become more gripped by grace, more gripped by the gospel that is now over you now. See, this, this calling to which we have been called, Paul isn't saying that you move on from the gospel of God's grace over you through faith. He says walk in, not walk to or walk from or away or move on. He says walk in. Walk in God's grace through faith in Christ in all things. Walk in the calling that you have. Let your life reflect that you are going deeper and deeper into trusting the gospel and that you are becoming weaker and weaker in and of yourself. And the only way to do that is the same way in which you are called. He says calling and called, right? He says, it's like, what is he repeating himself? The only way to do that is the same way in which you were called, by grace through faith alone in Jesus. One great theologian said, let Jesus be your all in all and let grace be the one line in which you live and move. When you reflect on the gospel, There's always more of our life to give to the Lord by faith in Christ. Always more to let go to which we hold on so dearly in his place. There's always more that we can spend our time and money and and gifts in serving him rather than serving ourselves. There's always more we can give ourselves over to him. Why? Because the more we reflect on the gospel, the more we will see how truly sufficient and fulfilling he is. And we have it. We don't have to earn it. 
He will and does provide everything we need so we can give our life away to him more and more every day by faith in him. The gospel in which we believe is so freeing because it enables us and empowers us to stop trusting in ourselves, stop trusting in people, stop trusting in things, and stop trusting in the world. For through the gospel of God's grace, we will and have our everything in Jesus. And even when we fail and sin, this gospel still gives us comfort because it says Jesus got you covered in all those things too. For truly he is your everything and freely provides you with everything, even the very forgiveness of your sins, which you struggle with every day. So because he is our everything and freely gives us everything, we then by faith in Christ should freely give ourselves over in serving others in his name for we have all that we need or at least we should think that way. That's what Paul's saying. And for our context of this book that, that Paul's writing about, we should freely give ourselves to each other by uniting with each other harmoniously in the church as one body despite our deficiencies and differences with each other. So I have a question for you. As you reflect upon this one verse, are there areas of your life which the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind which are not matching up to the calling that you have by faith in Jesus Christ? Are there places in your life that you are now realizing that you should be trusting Christ in more rather than in yourself or someone else or in something else? Are you living in the bondage into something? Are you giving into the spirit of fear in whatever bit may be? I don't know, you know. I don't know you. you God knows you and you know, and, and you know God. You have his word. Are there parts of your life in which you are afraid to trust Christ in because you think that his grace will not be enough for you there? That he won't provide his blessings for you there? And you just don't want to let go. You want to hold on to that grudge. Or let me put the question differently to you. Is your life one that reflects that God is graciously pursuing you in all areas of life by trusting in Jesus alone? For as Christians, we know we're not worthy of the call because we're sinners. That's why we came to Jesus in the first place. But because of what Christ has done for us, is there an attitude of wanting to be worthy? Because you know that God is pursuing you, a sinner, because of his great love for you. Does that sprout in you to, to have more faith? Are you, are you looking by faith more ways to trust in him with all that you are and all that you have? Is there a character quality arising up in you to want to honor him by faith in all things, because of all that he has done for you through his son. Is the Holy Spirit showing you here through this passage that, there, that, uh, that a more grateful attitude and demeanor should be about you before God in this life? To say that he's got you. Now remember, we are not called because we are worthy of his call. 
We are called because he loves us, even though we are not worthy of his calling. It is his gracious love over us, then, that Paul is saying should mold us, should mold everything about us through faith in Christ. It should provoke our hearts to want to be worthy. Remember, Christians don't live perfectly, but they do live differently. And this is one of those ways. We want to live a life that is worthy of the divine call upon us, even though we fail at it. The world doesn't have that problem. The world's not concerned with that. They don't care about their failures. As Christians, we do care. But we know we're forgiven. For even though we have not lived as we should, he loves us as if we did. Not because of our performance, but because of what Christ has done for us. And this should make us all the more want to give ourselves over to him in everything. And I'll leave you with this one quote because I think it kind of sums up what we've been going over today. One, this, this awesome theologian said this, but you say... How can I be holy when I have sin and I am aware of it? Run to Christ, the physician who heals the contrite of heart and saves sinners. So church, run to Christ, for he has done, he, he has done everything for you, everything you need, and will provide everything required for you by faith in him as you have this divine calling upon you. Rest in him and it's going to work out. Let us go to him in prayer. And if you'd like to pray with one of the deacons, they'll be up here. If you want to pray at your seat, feel free. If you want to pray up here, pray wherever. Lord, thank you for uh, this passage. And God, I know, I know for a fact that you are revealing things to us that we need to hand over to you, that we need to repent of, that we need to trust you more in. God, help us to not have an attitude of, well, I got to do this. Help us to have an attitude is, Lord, you need to help me. Help me. God, let us not be like the Pharisee who says, I do this and that and that, and I'm not like that tax collector. Let us be people of the tax collector that say, oh, God, forgive me, a sinner. God, we know it's through that. It's through our falling upon you and resting in you, coming to you, that you enable us to do what what you want us to do. It's by your power, by your strength. God, I know that there are people's relationships that are having strife right now, that are having a hard time. God, I pray you go to them and say, rather than trying to fix themselves or fix that person, they go to you to enable them to see how your grace is enough. I pray right now if someone is, that, that people are struggling that maybe with, with work or their life situations, that they're thinking that they just can't get it all together and they're trying harder and harder, Lord, help them to just go to you and that you will bring about a peace to them and a comfort to them to say, you got it covered. God, I pray if someone doesn't know you right now, that they make the choice to just follow you. Lord, I pray for all of us, including myself, that today be the day that whatever it is that you're convicting in us of, that we, that we just start trusting you more in it. Not because 
we're going to earn something, but because we've been forgiven. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.